Hi listeners, Laurie here. Hey, Phil here too. Welcome to what we've been watching. I don't know what episode we're on. We're not really keeping count with this series, are it's we? It's not like that. It's just what we've been watching this week, man. That's right. Listeners, in case, in the very rare case that you might be new to this, uh, what we've been watching are four movie reviews that Phil and I are going to give to you. They're not at the cinema. They're on DVDs or they're on streaming services. Basically, classic films that we're watching and telling you what to think about. Hopefully great for recommendations at the weekend, the evening, whatever. Also, if you've ever been uncertain about a film, you can get a little heads up. So maybe it's one to avoid. Exactly right, Phil. And as always, we take your suggestions. So if you want us to review a specific film or you want to comment, then send something to superbellybros at gmail.com and we'll do our best to read it out or act on it. (laughs) At some point in the future. (laughs) Yeah, you know what I'm saying. Laurie, what films have you seen this week? I'm doing Westworld. Not the TV show, but the 1973 film. That it was based, the, the TV show was based on? Well, no, the, the film that was based on the book that the TV show is also based on. Right, Michael okay. Crichton. Direct, this film, directed by Michael Crichton himself as well. Uh, and I'll also do Alien 3, starring Sigourney Weaver, David Fincher's directorial debut. Imagine mm, that. Interesting, interesting. I'm going to do When Harry Met Sally and also The Lake House. And isn't that a nice, Phil, that uh, we've balanced it out a little bit, because mine are a bit more sort of serious, whereas your two are a bit more fun, I hope. Mm, Well, we'll see, we'll see. Uh, Do you want to start this week? No. You think I should? Yes. Okay, which one? Westworld. All right, Westworld. We have you on Grid 5. We will soon be landing at the ultimate resort. Where you can live out your every fantasy. Each resort is maintained by reliable computer technology and peopled by lifelike robot men and women. Desire ends in satisfaction and all in a controlled environment. I love this place. There's a lot to do here. The guns they give you are real guns? This place is really fun. It's last day in the resort. Let's make it a little. Don't have to switch up. Fellas new in town? Maybe. Okay. Losing a little tolerance, bring me up. They're not responding. Should we cut the main power grid, sir? It'll kill the light. Shut it all down. Shut it all down. Shut down. Shut down immediately. We have no control over the robots at all. There's one chasing me now. What can I do? There's nothing you can do. Very modern sounding trailer there. Yeah, is that is that the original one? But I'm not entirely sure. I'll dig around, but it certainly gives gets the point across, doesn't it? Gives you a flavour for the film. Yeah, so listeners who've seen the HBO show, uh, in some ways, probably more well-informed than I am, because I haven't seen it yet. I don't have Sky, so I've not been able to watch it. You've seen it, haven't you, Phil? I've seen bits of it, yeah, yeah, yeah. What's the basic plot of that? 
Uh, I think it's very similar to what this film is. It's about a park uh, where you've got robots who help inhabit this world and you as a punter can pay a lot of money to go and basically imagine you're a cowboy and pursue your whatever your heart desires really in this world, this West world. That's cool. Yeah, well, that is exactly how this film starts. Yeah, so you it actually starts quite nicely with TV interviews. It's got a guy who works this company, Delos, I think it is, and... Yeah. Uh, he's interviewing people who are coming out of Westworld saying what did you get up to and there's a guy saying I was a cowboy I killed six people well I thought they were people I'm not sure maybe they were in it kind of and it instantly quite unsubtly makes the point that this is people being uninhibited living out of fancy right exactly Grand Theft Auto style shooting robbing sleeping with people doing all this stuff and there are three worlds there's Westworld like the Wild West there's Roman World which is ancient Rome and then medieval world as well so knights and you know classic classic Mickey taking out of Hollywood basically mm. and well what can I say listeners I think to be honest the first and foremost thing which I cannot get over and we'll probably be thinking about for days if not weeks to come is I have never seen a more convincing movie doppelganger uh, than in this film and I showed this to you Phil because I could not believe my eyes and it took you a while to get it I didn't quite twig, and it, but then once it was pointed out, I couldn't unsee it at all. It is very convincing. Basically, Christian Bale's in this film. <laughs> he is. It's <laughs> unbelievable. It's the most uncanny resemblance I've come across. It's actually James Brolin, who's the father of Josh Brolin. But wow, he it's looks bizarre. Exactly it's like really bizarre. Like the same facial expressions, the same way of same smiling. Smile. Yeah, it's, un- oh, it's uncanny. It slightly creeped me out, but it was sort of almost like glue to the screen. So I have to admit, that has slightly influenced my overall impression of the film. I can't <laughs> deny it. I spent most of my time thinking, what? Anyway, he plays a guy called John, who is best friends with a guy called Peter, played by Richard Benjamin. And Peter's the main character, really. These are two mates who are going off to Westworld. So they jump in the hovercraft with uh, effects very similar to those used uh, in the snow speeders in Star Wars The Empire Strikes Back. Oh, right, okay. This is 1973, remember? Mm. Uh, and then they arrive, they start having fun. Peter takes a while to sort of get used to it because it is a bit unusual. He's thinking, well, can I really shoot this guy? Can we really go here? Is this really okay? Is this really a robot? Can I kiss this robot? I don't get it. And But then you see him gradually getting seduced by the place and he, he does sort of succumb to it and and john is clearly an old hand of it he loves being there he's acting all mr tough mr gunslinger you can tell he loves being in wild west world mm. uh, in the meantime guys in a control room are doing control roomy things making control roomy comments uh, trying to make sure everything happens at the right time everything is working properly occasionally commenting on things that aren't working the way they should and we see the sort of back room uh, of Westworld, which is more or less a medical bay, but it's actually a technical bay. Repairing so, the robots. Exactly, especially ones that have been shot the day before. Mm. People come in, they give them upgrades, they do all that kind of stuff. And we're constantly reminded that they really are robots. And of course, as with any film, especially with Michael Crichton in it, uh, that stars androids, stuff starts to go wrong. The androids start to apparently either think for themselves or malfunction and the dream world turns into a bit of a nightmare fill. Oh, classic, <laughs> yeah, classic, yeah. classic. Now, unfortunately, I found this film on its own terms to be a clunky and tedious affair, which is pretty much unforgivable given the subject matter because it should be fascinating and like uh, a visceral movie to watch because there are these incredibly lifelike robots who suddenly start to become frightening robots. Mm. But it isn't frightening at all. The basic sort of structure is loads and loads of setup, which is interesting, but they don't do anything at all with the thematic content. They just let it play out normally. And then it is all of a sudden flips over into a deadly chase sequence rather than an exploration of anything at all. So I think the central core of the film, you know, the psychological, philosophical questions were completely sidestepped. 
which is really, really weird, given that that is one of Michael Crichton's main strengths as an author, if you've ever read Jurassic, Jurassic Park. Park. yeah, Exactly. Yeah. It's all about the moral ethics of raising up these extinct animals. Yeah, it? it's fascinating. And he writes brilliantly, but he directs this film and wrote the screenplay. If there's one guy you'd think would get it right, you'd think it was him. But it, Tricky, it, different game, isn't it? Well, but I mean, it's not entirely... It, can't, it probably isn't entirely down to him because there are notes in the production that he specifically wanted direct, to direct himself and other studios wouldn't really let him do it because obviously he's a bit inexperienced and he's mm. a writer. So he only allowed MGM, I think it was, to take it. And lots of other people hadn't worked with MGM at the time because they had a reputation for being controlling and making bad edits and stuff. But he still went with them because they let him direct. And obviously... They came in a medal. Well, there's obviously something will have gone on there. So, you know, it's hard to say whether we're seeing his vision for it or not. But unfortunately... You know, especially if you're in love with HBO's Westworld TV show, which I hear is basically full of Game of Thrones-esque, you know, raunchiness and violence. Am I right? I mean, it takes the idea of the people coming to this park to do whatever they want, and it, it addresses that. But like actually, literally, and in an R-rated manner. I take yeah, it. but it's not really about that. This show has been hugely successful, man. It's been the number one opening season for HBO ever. Well, exactly. And so I think if that's kind of what you've got in mind, that it just you need to try and forget that completely if you're going to try and give this film adaptation a go. What about, uh, what's his name, the King and I man? Yul Brynner. Yeah, yeah he's good in the he, he does, he plays the king in The King and I. Yeah, so he plays uh, the gunslinger, who is this sort of Wild West outlaw, who they shoot up quite early on. He's at the bar, and Peter hesitantly says, oh, you making trouble? <laughs> it's quite a funny scene to mm. watch him try and pretend to be a cowboy. And then just as a quick aside to that, that is done quite nicely. The slight pathetic nature of what's going on. How it's kind of a, a rubbish fa- fantasy. It's a bit lame, and it actually makes the men look really silly, because... It can only be as real as you allow it to be. And they decide to go in and, and think of and themselves it, as yeah, cowboys. Yeah. And that's a bit lame, isn't it? That's mm. communicated quite well. But yeah, so the, the old Brinner plays the gunslinger. They shoot him, he dies. And then the next morning he wakes up and confronts John. But Peter bursts into the room just in time and shoots him again. And then he comes back on the third time. And this time round, he's angry and not playing by the rules. Wow, okay. Is he good in the role? I think he's okay. He plays the sort of chaser character well. He's got a steely-eyed gaze. He doesn't have any lines. Uh, he's all, uh, almost no lines to speak of. And I think I am affected by later films that have obviously done this genre a lot better. But the chase element really felt quite slow and painful, painfully slow almost, because you know exactly what's going to happen. Maybe the director's forcing you to wait and be patient oh, and try yeah. to communicate Phil's something. Phil's taking the mic out of me here, listeners. You if, always if talk if you about haven't Phil's to Super forcing but, you to be slow. But Isn't you can that a good tell, thing? I think you can tell in this case that the reason he's being slow is because he thinks it's tense and you're like, oh no, is he going to find him? But it, it doesn't actually feel that way. Right. It feels a little bit silly. What I will say is that some of the sort of the things that happen and the effects uh, must be fairly revolutionary for the time because... There is a scene at which one robot basically gets burnt with acid and then fire and then appears as this kind of mangled android chasing someone down. I'm thinking, well, that is Terminator, basically. And yet Terminator was doing this years later when it's a bit more sophisticated. So there are obviously some incredibly strong ideas here that have spawned that film and the TV show and to make this film serviceable. But overall, it's it's a bit of a disappointment. Performances are almost non-existent because there's so little actual thematic content for them to tuck their teeth into it's just very basic all the way through so for me it um it gets a c plus really that's quite low isn't it 
I think that's what it deserves, really. Is it you worth know, it for I give Christian it an Bale? A, I, exactly. I give it an A for the absolutely incredible doppelganger resemblance of James Brolin to Christian Bale. And specifically in this film, because if you go on the internet, you'll see a lot of photos of him with a moustache and a goatee. And he still looks exactly like Christian Bale. But this is the most obvious I've ever seen it because he's clean shaven. And he's even got a Christian Bale haircut. It's like, wow, I can't believe it. <laughs> well, there you go. Thanks, yep. Harry. No worries. Okay, me next, I'm going to go with When Harry Met Sally. Men and women can't be friends because no man can be friends with a woman that he finds attractive. He always wants to have sex with her. So you're saying that a man can be friends with a woman he finds unattractive? No, you pretty much want to nail him too. Greg? No, I don't like to eat between meals. I'll roll down the window. Faceless guy rips off your clothes, and that's the fantasy you've been having since you were 12. Exactly the same. Well, sometimes I vary it a little. Which part? What I'm wearing. Now, listeners, we've had to cut that short for spoilers, basically, because this film is so good, you do not want it spoiled. Am I right, Phil? Yes, you are right. This film is great. This is... I'm gonna say I'm just gonna tell you right at the front. This is my favorite film. Is it really? Number yeah, it one. Is. I love time. this film. I think it's I think it's basically perfect for what it is. Wow! And I love it so much. For those of you who haven't seen it, I'd seriously suggest not watching a trailer on YouTube or anything like that to see about it because it will be spoiled for you. This film follows well, basically as the title suggests, when Harry met Sally. Harry and Sally are two people from the same university who end up driving on a huge journey to New York together way back in the day after graduating and they realise that they kind of just don't really get on they don't see eye to eye they they kind of have this kind of weird tension between them but basically once they're done with their little road trip to New York they say right see ya and then off they go into separate directions but then fate would have it that they bump into each other years and years later and then they strike up a sort of bizarre friendship and this friendship everyone else is saying well clearly there's something going on between you two but these guys are like no this is completely unique this is a special friendship and then that original question that they that they raised on that drive to new york can men and women actually be friends well they start finding out whether or not they can be friends or not nice setup man and this is billy crystal and meg ryan yeah yeah and they have fantastic chemistry i think they are brilliantly cast billy crystal's character harry is wonderfully cynical and uh, mean-spirited but just about on the right side of the line he easily could be a character that you just don't like but i think he plays it perfectly so that you kind of think he's cool and edgy uh but still relatable and then you counterbalance that with meg ryan's character who is eternally warm and sunny and sally is this sort of ever everly optimistic character that really contrasts well with Harry. She's also quite conservative, isn't she? Because in some ways, Harry is a bit more free-thinking and philosophical, whereas she is much more sort of rigid. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's really well observed. It's written by Nora Ephron and also her her kind of ex-partner, actually, Rob Reiner, son of Carl Reiner, mm. who he directs it as well. So these two people who were in a relationship... And now they're legends And as they're well. both in, independently are legends in the film canon... And here it is, their product, and it is just perfectly judged. I do not think there is a scene that is wasted in the film, and I think that's a real testament to its quality. No, you're absolutely right. And it's funny, because hearing you tell the setup there, it's impossible to communicate how this film rises a million miles above every other film that has that kind of premise as its plot line. This is so much more... 
about the randomness of human interaction and the quirks of the human mind and the insecurities and the frailties than you can possibly imagine. And it is so funny. It is so funny. And I think the reason why it's so funny is because it feels authentic. It feels real. It doesn't feel synthesized. It feels like these are people having sort of average normal day conversations and being quite funny as they do it. And it never feels forced. These these characters just feel organic and like they are all moving towards an inevitable conclusion. But the journey there is just perfect. I think... The, the comparison I would make is that this is kind of like Friends is to the sitcom. Yeah, good call. Really because, good call. Because Friends, I think, distills that concept of people hanging out and what that is to have a friendship community down to a T. And so basically people have constantly been trying to return back to, to Friends and kind of recapture that magic. But because Friends did it so well and so uh, tightly, it's really hard to. They base, they, the basic structure of Friends is so well done people can't re- recreate it well this is a similar period as well in america and it was like a bit of a golden age for that kind of quirky romantic comedy when people didn't want slush they wanted slightly more thought put into it all right yeah and like slightly just clever dialogue i think the script is impeccable and the performances match that i think they really inhabit the the lines that are given to them and there's some great bits of improvisation there's hilarious famous improvisations and creations by these actors and there are iconic scenes i think probably people who haven't seen the film will always think about meg ryan in the coffee shop oh yeah faking a that's because it's in those hundred greatest moments countdowns but what's bizarre is the film it, it is so much bigger than that one scene. It's just that that one scene is kind of just memorable. It's not even that representative, really. It's much exactly. quieter film than that. Exactly, and it's a lot more sweet and and just nice and genuine. And it's a film that I've watched again and again and again and again. And every single time I've watched it, I've enjoyed it more. I've found the 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 script better, the performances more endearing. And actually, I found it to be genuinely quite true, I think. I think it's, it hits it well, right at the core of what it is to be men and women. This is what I was going to ask you, Phil. How much do you think, on a scale of 1 to 10, did this film influence you as you started to grow up and be a teenager and have relationships with, with girls? I think, I think it just... It, it, what it does is it raises a question and it is honest about that question, but without being... Uh, preachy about that idea I don't think it's really saying anything concrete but instead it's sort of saying actually what is it that we want out of relationships is it that we want just somebody we can sleep with or do we want actually somebody who is our friend like is 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 this really a completely un, unnecessary distinction and actually this is human relationships I mean that sounds very philosophical and deep but I think this it's there. It's it examines there. this idea really really well and what I really love about this film is for those of you who are fellas out there listening I think this is a, a great movie to watch for couples and I think it's a great movie for guys as well because actually I think the film is a lot more about Harry than it is about Sally it's when Harry met so? Sally yeah it's entirely about Harry's little journey through life I think we spend more screen time with Meg Ryan though disagree I think really? Harry is the central character and I think it's one of those rare rom-coms which actually is is more for guys, I think. On top of all of this, I think, is a fantastic soundtrack that has that kind of uh, taste almost of Woody Allen's idea of what New York is like. It has that sort of trumpety, brassy sound. It's Harry Connick Jr., yeah. We're using a bit of Louis Armstrong and... 
it's just brilliantly judged. It's such a lovely atmosphere. It makes New York feel like this just wonderfully beautiful place that you could go and have a career and meet people and be friends with them and, and make great just great connections with people i mean it's one of those things where i just naturally assume my adult life would end up probably like this at some point <laughs> the false hope of yeah this it's reality. so weird isn't it and i thought oh, i'll probably be on the phone talking about casablanca with a great friend of mine who lives in a different part of town do you know what i mean in midnight because i can't sleep and i'll definitely be in central park recounting dreams that kind of stuff. you know it, it does make you think surely this is what adult life is like and unfortunately it's not it's not going to be like that. But I think genuinely I keep on revisiting this film and I find the more and more I grow up, the more and more it seems like actually they were really tapping into something which was real. It's still true today as well. I think it, 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 we've, I feel that we've lost this kind of whimsical comedy because there's no patience anymore. Uh, and I discovered that because I showed this film. I think you've probably done this as well to some friends of mine. And this is a classic film where you say, oh, it's amazing, you're going to love it. It's a real classic and it's hilarious. And then you play it to your friends and they're a bit like, mm, well, it was all right. Actually, I've played it to friends and uh, they loved it. They really enjoyed it and they're really Obviously invested. Obviously, your friends are better than my friends. <laughs> yeah, of course. But uh, I'm going to say, and this is a big moment, I hope I've done this film justice because it is my favourite film. Yeah, yeah. It is an A+. Plus oh, me. this is your A+. This plus. is my A+. Plus film. I t- a listener asked about it a-, a couple of weeks ago. Here it is. This is an A+. Plus film for me. I think it's great. Well, I'm glad to hear that, Phil. And I agree with you. I think it's spectacular filmmaking. Rob Reiner and Nora Ephron especially are just geniuses. And I think this film proves it. And they work really well together. Amazing that they were ex-partners when they did it. Um, I'm surprised you haven't mentioned Carrie Fisher and Bruno Kirby. Well, I did want to touch on that because I think it's the only other film I've seen Carrie Fisher in other than Star Wars. And she plays this very out-of-type character, I'd say. She plays a sort of, what's the word, seductress? Oh, I know what you mean, but she's not. She's more hopeless, I think, is the thing. Like, she's got the hots for a married man and doesn't seem to be able to get past this and is almost sort of stuck there. Mm. And then you've got Bruno Kirby who plays uh, Harry's best friend. And really, it's just those four, and mostly it's just about Harry and Sally, as you'd expect. And it doesn't feel forced. It doesn't feel rushed. It takes its time. It's got that New Year scenes, great, good speech. Yeah, all that great stuff. speeches. Very memorable. I think it's a great piece of cinema. Well, there we go, Phil. Uh, listeners, an unambiguous thumbs up from uh, from him there, and I totally agree with him. I think it's brilliant too. If you've never seen it, that is also a great Christmas movie because it's very warm and cosy. Yeah, absolutely. I 100% endorse that. Okay, well, thanks, Phil. I mean, taking a radical change in tone. Actually, should we just drop our email addresses and things like that now? Are you keen for it? Okay, good, do it quick. If anyone does see when Harry met Sally and wants to chip in themselves, you can contact us at superbaileybros at gmail.com or you can tweet us at superbaileybros. Let us know. Good stuff. Okay, my next film, as I said, a radical shift in tone, is Alien 3. <laughs> Here, in a world where the sun burns cold, and the wind blows colder, a visitor has come. But not by herself. It started. The suspense is back. And we have no weapons of any kind. The fear is back. Alien 3. Mm, yeah, have you seen the first Alien, Phil? I have, yeah. What do you think of that? I really liked it. I think it's got uh, an amazing mood to it. 
I think it's a, an absolute masterpiece of cinema that will endure for generations, and it's spectacular. What do you think of Aliens? Have you seen Aliens? I have seen Aliens. That's uh, another good good director behind that one. That was uh, James Cameron, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. Mr. Titanic himself uh, had a go at Aliens, and he changed the tone a little bit. So yeah, the first, the f- you go for it. Well, the first one was like kind of a more of a horror moody piece. The second one was an action action adventure sort All of story. All out action. The Marines are there, the Space Marines taking on the aliens with Game Sigourney over, Moon. man. Game over. <laughs> yeah, improvised line. Was it really? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And that is quite different with Ripley sort of returning, wishing she wasn't there. That's Sigourney Weaver's character. And have you seen Alien 3? I've seen bits of it. I remember seeing a bit of it on holiday once and I saw it in a Spanish language or something like that. And I think, what is this film? Now, I have to say, listeners, I mean, this was made in 1992. The first Alien was 1979. So that's over a good period of years there. I don't know quite what happened, but I think it is an absolute shadow of its former self. This film borrows liberally from everything else that is good about the sci-fi genre and boils it down into a really, really mediocre piece of filmmaking. It's meant to be quite messy, isn't it? I don't think it even feels messy. I think it actually feels quite simple. It's just dull. It it offers nothing uh, that hasn't already been done. And the things it does add in that are semi-new are really like ham-fisted. And this is something that is hard to believe when you consider it's David Fincher at the helm. It is his first movie, isn't it? That's right. And not a, a very strong debut from the guy. You said you've heard him talking about this. Yeah, he basically was saying this kind of was a, a deciding film for his film career because he used to he started out doing special effects for Return of the Jedi. Then he went into like uh, music video production. He did some very, very well received music videos for Madonna and other big artists. He was a really big deal. And then this is his first big film film debut. And basically he found the studio was constantly messing with it and fiddling with it. And I think he lost final cut of the film and uh, it was kind of finished off by somebody else. I think he even said that he wanted to remove his name from it, but he couldn't. He just couldn't do it at that point. It was going to be the end of his career sort of thing. And it basically set in motion for him a way of approaching filmmaking where unless he can do the exact vision that he has he's going to walk away from a project. So in some ways, actually, it may have proved a positive thing because it means now he's able to create these quite auteur-like masterpieces. He's got a very distinctive style. I mean, I love him. I love his films, basically. Yeah, you were a massive fan of Gone Girl, weren't you? Yeah, I think, I think he's a, he's his name's attached. I'm watching that movie. There we go. But, so listeners, uh, yeah, I, aside from all that, uh, this film centres around Ripley, who's on a spaceship again, a sort of generic spaceship, and uh, it, it gets jettisoned onto a prison world, basically, because of some sort of unforeseen disaster. And when she crash lands, the inmates there are revealed to only be men. And there's kind of a strange religious cult that has sort of emerged out of this prison that helps all the inmates cope a little bit better. And they're announcing their ways and supporting each other a bit like a brotherhood. And there's a doctor there played by Charles Dance and a couple of other people who run it. But there's no weapons. There's no real sort of security except a hostile planet and a secure building. And it's kind of a night that that itself is actually an interesting idea because it's very unique. It's like a sort of a monastery, except rather than there being benevolent monks, it's like hardened criminals. You got it. So when a woman lands, that's a problem for them because you know they've taken these vows and things, and and she's seen a, a destabilizing influence. And then when it is gradually revealed that what actually caused this spaceship to crash was an alien, uh, things go even more wrong. Uh, very 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 quickly so it seems like the company and this is kind of the same plot as, as the last two films is constantly trying to turn these aliens into bioweapons and what's amazing is that reading some of the development notes i think they originally wanted this film to be a bit more about that to analyze the corporation and why they wanted it 
and how they're going to use it. But along the way, that must have got dropped because basically the aliens just there and they don't really bother explaining why. Mm. The aliens just there. It caused the crash while everyone was in hypersleep and now it terrorizes another locked in environment where people are naturally antagonistic towards each other. Can they team up long enough to save the day? Blah, blah, blah. It's a, it does seem a bit of a fool, foolish concept having already had Alien, which does it perfectly, that that scenario, a, a trapped space with a horrible monster. It's like the Minotaur in, in Greek mythology. But then also to do Aliens, which has more of those aliens as a sequel, sort of a way to motivate the sequel, you have more of that monster. To then go back to the original setup where it's one monster... It inevitably sure it's a bit of a flat well fish. I agree I don't understand what they were trying to the only reason to do that is if you're going to bring something really new to it like amazing new effects perhaps or relationships with the creatures but that never materialises at all instead you get really like hammy bad guys they're like bad guys from uh, like a West End musical <laughs> do you know what I mean mm. they never come across as threatening or intense people at all on this you know the criminals aren't so they're not very interesting. It's more like a joke to watch them do the things they do. Ripley herself is fine. Sigourney Weaver's a brilliant performer and she makes it work with very, very little to use. But like even the old stuff from the previous film has got worse somehow in the, in the uh, following t- uh, 13 years. Because, you know, the practical effects of the alien in Alien actually look pretty good. Mm. Like it's lit really, really well. The composition of the shots are very clever when it comes to the scale and the positioning of the prosthetics. In this film, they've obviously used some kind of new blue screen approach uh, for various things, including some of the spaceship effects. And it looks worse than the 1979 mm, Alien. Interesting. The alien in particular is a joke. You can barely see it at all, but there's very, very little excuse for that, given the context. And it does some really almost laughable things, like scuttle along the ceiling, and it sort of just looks like a cockroach. And it's not in any way scary or intimidating. The violence, you know, I'm not a big violence fan, but I think in a film like this, you sort of need something that's a bit terrifying. Instill the fear, yeah. Yeah, but they don't do that. The camera sort of wimps out, and I don't know whether this is because I saw a TV version of it, but there was very little to make me think, oh, this is frightening. It overall just felt really cheesy and I was waiting for the moment when they beat the alien up. And it is really shocking in its sort of Terminator approach to the ending. Even that is borrowed from other films and there's a really half-hearted attempt to bring in the sort of deeper themes of the film when the company do finally turn up. But overall, this is really disappointing. It's badly scripted. I think it's badly shot. It's got an incomprehensible plan. I think it wastes its talented cast. I, there's a, there's so much more wrong with this film than there is right with it and I think it's no surprise that the Alien franchise died a death from this point what are you talking about man it's gone on to be again and again Aliens vs Predator yeah but that's Aliens vs Predator isn't it and it's still got Prometheus made didn't it Like, yeah but that's different that's Ridley Scott and that's because the first Alien was a masterpiece and it's because it won so many fans and Aliens as well to a certain extent It won, they won so many fans to its cause that even this Alien 3 couldn't sort of uh, wreck it completely mm, interesting what's the grade c from me i think that is really low I, i'm even i'm quite shocked by that have you you haven't seen it though have you i've seen bits of it i mean i've i've heard consistently it's not a good film but it's I, not at all i it kind feels of like proper 90s steampunk rubbish basically yeah a bit like super mario bros oh really and i, I'd, I'd actually call this the super mario bros of the alien franchise wow yeah. there you go well as you say maybe it's a good thing because maybe it meant that david fincher could make a bad film so that then he learned how to make a good one well exactly yeah so sorry if that's a disappointment for any alien fans and do tell me if i'm wrong yeah i'd love to hear if anyone has a particular insight into what makes it better okay all done yep done 
Okay, let's wrap this off with The Lake House. I sometimes feel as if I'm invisible. I never felt that way when I lived at The Lake House. It's the one place I felt most like my true self. I bought a house on the lake. It's beautiful. Dear new tenant, welcome to your new home. I'm sure you'll love living here as much as I did. What do you mean you lived here? Since no one has lived in this house for years. For argument's sake, what day is it there? April 14th, 2004. <laughs> no, it's April 14th, 2006. It's the same day, two years apart. Can this be happening? From Warner Brothers Pictures. This house is about connection. Comes a love. How's your sunset? Mine's beautiful. I only wish you were here to share it with me. Without limits. Even though this is clearly impossible, it's amazing. And a place that reaches across time. I miss the lake house and its trees. Thank you, Alex. Keanu Reeves. She was more real to me than anything I've ever known. Sandra Bullock. It's kind of a long-distance relationship. Pick a place. I'll be there. I promise. How? It's not meant to be. No, don't say that. Something must have happened. One man I can never meet. Him I would like to give my whole heart to. The Lake House. I love this film. Uh, <laughs> it's so bad, but it's it, great. It is like a big warm hug, but I think that trailer excellently spells out the ways that it's lovely and the ways that it's obviously not a good film. <laughs> yeah, so this is a film from early, mid-middle 2000s, I think it is, and yeah, it stars Sandra Bullock, Keanu Reeves, reuniting them from Speed. Yeah, quite and, a different setting. <laughs> yeah, very different. If this, this, in fact, this is the opposite of Speed. This is, in fact, very, very slow because these two people, they start a weird sort of letter-writing relationship uh, because they both inhabit the same house but are, in fact, separated by two years of time. Oh, dear. Two star-crossed lovers, if ever there were. Yeah, you're right, man. (laughs) I think this film is exactly what you want it to be if you're looking for a a kind of cheesy, fun, romantic film. And it can't be derailed by how silly it is, basically. I think it commits the idea uh, of these two people bonding over letters and things like that and just makes it work. It's actually a remake, I think, of a Spanish film, um, and you can kind of get that sense that it's not originally written for uh, a a US audience because it doesn't quite follow the normal conventions of, of... of these films and yet at the same time it's constantly trying to push itself into that romantic film tropes and and styles and things like that I think what's really good about the film is it rather than keeping these characters separate instead what it does is is constantly twining them together but missing each other or or not realising what the moment was that they met each other and so you have these rather than it being a kind of a painful annoying oh when will they ever meet please will they meet instead it becomes like oh look at this kind of bizarre relationship that they've been having without even realizing it and if only they could see it as they see it now <laughs> you're so obviously in love with this film it's like it's been writing love letters to you i don't know why uh, though because it is awful it is genuinely like my most shameful film that i love and i think 
I like it because, in fact, there's a one particular scene in which I still don't really know why I love it so much. It's when uh, Keanu Reeves is making like some like soup or something, and he just says, "Come to Papa." <laughs> Does he really? And he like, yeah. and it just looks really hot and it looks like really delicious. <laughs> is this also the film where he does his worst ever sneeze? Oh yeah, he does like a fake sneeze. <laughs> it's like, make sure you don't get sick, Alex, and then he goes. That's you. But it's one of the worst. No, it's terrible. Like it's uh, it's famous for being some bad acting, basically. I I just I think also as well. I have a big soft spot for both these actors. I love Sandra Bullock because of Miss Congeniality. She's the most likable woman there is, apparently. Uh-huh. And then also Keanu Reeves. I I always feel like I want to defend Keanu Reeves because well, he's, he, in this film he's he's pretty good. He's he's decent, yeah. And he's he's obviously got something about him that means that he keeps on being in movies. Like people can't hate him that much. But at every corner I seem to turn, people are constantly trashing him and saying how rubbish he is. I think it's that when he's bad, when he's badly oh, cast, he is bad. He's he is really, really bad. He's just so obviously the wrong guy for it. But I think one of the things that you like about him, and it is obvious if you ever hear him interviewed or see behind the scenes, is the guy works incredibly hard. Like it's never his fault, I don't think. Entirely. And he seems quite humbly doing his job. Like he doesn't strike me as a big sort of movie star sort of guy. You're in love with the guy. <laughs> Maybe I am. <laughs> I don't diff- know. He's different from you, others, man. You know he. <laughs> <laughs> He'll treat me right. <laughs> uh, well, you haven't really said exactly what makes this film bad. You've admitted that it is. Why is it not good? It's bad because it's melodramatic. It's bad because you've got these this stupid idea of these people writing letters to each other and somehow falling in love with each other. And that just doesn't really fly in a modern film. And the film even knows this as well because rather than having the actual format of having an entire letter and then having to read that entire letter and then respond to that letter it instead acts almost like it's instant messenger so that they can react immediately to something that somebody said. Well, you know, this is, I was going to say this because I, I think one of the reasons it chimes so well uh, with people who've lived through our generation, Phil, is that MSN Messenger was a big deal when we were growing up <laughs> and bing, you felt bing. like you had the deepest connections with people on it. And when you hear them saying those things in the trailer, you think this is ridiculous. Like, how can you possibly feel that way about someone you've literally just written letters to? And yet, kind of, that is the case, isn't it? Yeah, it is that case. And and it's quite nice. They play around with time and there is that kind of question as if if they've fallen in love, why haven't they met each other yet? And they do play that out quite nicely and it just it just works for me. And I actually think the soundtrack is exactly what you want for this sort of movie. Some great little indie gems in there which Especially have entered into <laughs> have entered into my uh iPhone. Your playlist, of course, yeah. Yeah, so I don't know, I just I keep on coming back to this film. It's warm, it's friendly, it's nice, it's cheesy. Guilty pleasure I'll to a T. It does look amazing. Like the lake house itself looks like a dream house. Like it, the, a lot of the scenery is just fun to be in because you think, whoa, wouldn't it be nice to live there? Or wouldn't it be cool to be an architect like that and just be able to chill? You know what I mean? Like There's a lot about it that's very sort of dreamy and evocative. And I know what you're saying. It's good comfort watching, but it's not exactly, you know, challenging you. Oh, no, not at all. Not Compared at all. Compared to when Harry Met Sally, Phil, I mean, this is different filmmaking. But yet, I'm going to give it... No, I'm not going to give it an A+. <laughs> Don't be ridiculous. I think for what it is, though, I'm going to give it a B+, because I think it's good fun. And I think for a certain type of mood, it is perfect. I think I agree with you there, Phil. Certainly better than The Holiday, let's say that. Oh, controversial. Uh, especially at this time of the year. Are we going to do The Holiday soon? I'd quite like to. I think we might have to. I might to. get my wife in to defend it. Oh, really? He's a big fan. I kind of like The Holiday, but also hate it as well. I feel mm. conflicted about I'm that I'm on film. one side, I think, yeah. Mm. Just the H. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. Hey, well, that's everything, isn't it? That's four movies. Uh, tell us what you thought. That was When Harry Met Sally, that was The Lake House, that was... Alien 3, and it was also Westworld, the 1973 version.
So if you have any thoughts on those, do email it in. Do email in if there's a film you'd like us to do on what we've been watching. People have done already, and thank you to those who have. We will get around to doing it someday. We just are trying to fit it all in. It's been a busy be few weeks for you, hasn't it? It's not been easy for you to catch up. No, so hopefully, I've, I think I've kind of made it over the hill, so should be a bit more ready and easy and willing to do suggestions. So do send them in. Good stuff. Okay, listeners, we'll be with you again next week. Happy weekend. Happy weekend. <laughs> Bye. Bye-bye.